Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Another interesting day, second day in a row, a school shooting, this time in Oshkosh. Authorities will be having a press conference. It is tentatively scheduled for 1 o'clock. We'll do our best to bring that to you. Um, All we know right now is that a student brought a firearm to school and ended up getting into a shootout with, again, a school resource officer, both in this case were hit and taken to the hospital. We'll have more details at 1 o'clock. Then at one thirty, there's going to be another press conference, follow-up information on the school shooting incident that happened yesterday at uh, in Waukesha, where, again, you had a uh, school resource officer who confronted a kid who had brought a firearm to school, and in that case, it was the student, the 17-year-old student who was shot. He was in stable condition as of yesterday. We're going to get more details, and, and we will discuss it. Then, of course, against that backdrop, you, you had other things that were going on. You had, apparently, threats that were made against the schools in Grafton and in Germantown. They went ahead and had school. Something similar to that also happened in West Bend as well. So this this is the season where in this period of you know 48 to 72 hours, you have one incident after another. We'll talk about various aspects, but I want to do it later on in the program, especially after we've had the opportunity to hear the latest updates from law enforcement. On a positive note, let me remind you of a couple things. Our WTMJ holiday radio show, it is Thursday, two days from today, December 5th. It is at the Italian Community Center, free parking. So if you've come to some of the previous ones and you said, ah, I had to pay 20 or 30 bucks to park downtown, not going to have that problem. Free parking at the Italian Community Center. Um, it's a little bit different this year. It's not a radio play. We did the run-through yesterday, and actually it's it's sort of clever. And Gru, who's producing the show today and always, if this, if you need any other incentive, and, and tickets are almost sold out, but if you need any incentive, you're thinking, I want to come or not, where do I want to show up? Here's one thing that is going to happen for the first time in 22 years and the only time. So this, it is a one-off thing that is going to happen Tuesday or Thursday evening. I am going to sing a solo, actually. I, I, I have... I have a solo. You're thinking about whether you want to say something or not, huh? Well, I'm going to ask what it is, but I don't I, no, like... no, I'm not. No, no, no. You have to. No, you, no, no, no. It, it's it's a secret, but it, it's it is it is a. I have a a solo performance. I sing in the car when my wife listens. I sing at concerts when I know the tunes, and occasionally, occasionally, I will sing in church. But this, I am going to be doing a solo. I assure you. I this is the first time. I have not, I've resisted the urge, 22 years here at TMJ, 25 years on the radio, I have never burst into song. 
That is going to change, and it's going to be the first and only time. So it, it's a one-off type of thing. So if you're sitting there thinking, gee, I, really, it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, by the way, the weather's supposed to be pretty good at all as well. No excuse not to come on down. But, yes, I, I have for charity and for this event, I have agreed to do a to do a solo and so there that that'll be it so if you want to see it that that's it um the tickets are twenty five dollars a piece uh the ticket sales are cut off tomorrow at noon so 24 hours from now we stop selling them all ticket sales support capco's kids to kids toy drive presented by wtmj the tickets are 25 bucks Go to our website, WTMJ.com. It is very easy to do. And, um, again, don't don't be shut out because uh, we cut off ticket sales at noon tomorrow. So if there was any other incentive, if nothing else, you know, I, why would you want to come and see me sing? Well, because or hear me sing. Well, because you never know. It could very well be this train wreck. And, you know, if you, you just want to you just you will not be able to take your eyes off of that that train wreck. So. Ah, come on by and show up. Hey, before that, I also do want to mention something that I've been involved with for a number of years. Tomorrow night, a big fundraiser for the Boys and Girls Club of Washington County. It's kind of the West Bend area. My kind of formerly adopted hometown. We're going to, uh, they, they have a thing called the Taste of Washington County, which is where a number of area restaurants get together. They do it at the Washington County Fairgrounds and that big pavilion they have. Last couple years, I've been involved with one of the restaurants and serving food. Not doing that this year. This year, I have advanced. Instead of like um, schlepping the ribs, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be selling for charity high-end bottles of bourbon. So, um, and it's actually it's really good bourbon. So, stop off. Um, I will be there together together with my lovely wife. Washington, Washington County Fairgrounds, Taste of Washington County, a fundraiser for the Boys and Girls Club of Washington County. They do incredible, incredible work. And so, if you happen to be out and, and, and taking in the event, stop by and. You know, bring your uh, kind of bring your bring your checkbook. Be prepared to spend a little bit for one of these high end bottles of bourbon and really help out a great cause. That's tomorrow night. And then, of course, Thursday is our big holiday radio show. When we come back, I think authorities in Ozaki County got it wrong. And a lot of people agree with me. We're going to discuss. Stick around. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. We have some breaking news from the world of politics. It's not it's it's not a surprise, I guess, but maybe in the big picture it is sort of a surprise. Camilla Harris, who was the former uh, former prosecutor, um, senator from California, who when she got into the presidential race months and months ago, a lot of people thought that she had a realistic chance to to become the Democrat nominee. She checked off a lot of the boxes. Again, she she had a career in law enforcement. She um, female, African American, um, had a great sort of back story. Well, okay. Um, Kamala Harris, we, we, we barely knew ye because she's announcing today that she's dropping out of the presidential race. Her, her moment in the sun, her 15 minutes of fame probably came mostly during that first Democratic presidential debate. You will, might remember this one. It was the one where she got into Joe Biden's face on, on 
busing and took him to task for some of his support for for busing, you know, back when, you know, he was a senator years and years ago. And that led to this sort of discussion about busing. And that was the big topic. And a lot of people thought, okay, she's really taking off. She's going to find her stride. But she was kind of like a skyrocket that went off and kind of exploded. The New York Times, the, the, the death blow into in, her campaign probably came last weekend. The New York Times, which I think is very much trying to anoint Elizabeth Warren as the Democrat nominee. How's that working out? They ran a scathing, scathing piece on the Harris campaign, talking about how it's in complete disarray. And you've got uh, two campaign managers, one guy on the West Coast who essentially had worked with her on previous campaigns over and over again, and then her sister on the East Coast. And apparently the two sides didn't get along and there were all these arguments about spending money, et cetera, et cetera. So essentially the campaign ended up broke. She wasn't getting much traction at all, and people were pushing her to step down before the end of this month because, again, she's a senator from California, and the last day to pull out from the California primary is apparently at the end of this month. A lot of people were thinking, all right, well, if, if she hasn't withdrawn and she's on the ballot in California when the election comes up in March, because I think that's when the California primary is this year, when it's if it's in March and she goes on and runs and gets crushed, it's going to be really bad for her political future. So I, I think she's read the tea leaves. And anyhow, Kamala Harris, who at one point in time, was thought to be, again, at the top of that probably second tier of candidates, you know, looking to make a breakthrough, never happened. ABC News reporting that she is dropping out of the presidential race today. All right, here is the story that I'm kind of curious as to your reaction to this. It's one of the things that I think that there's a lot of uncertainty about when we are driving about it's okay when do you yield to pedestrians and when don't you yield to pedestrians we did a topic last week and one of the things that i noticed and it kind of came in the wake of some of these hit and runs that we've had is that you have it seems to be that there's some people who drive their automobiles and they get the idea that gee when i see a pedestrian getting ready to enter the crosswalk well i I don't yield to them what i do is i see if i speed up and can get through that intersection before the person steps out. A lot of, I think, uncertainty among average citizens about, you know, when, when you yield, when you don't. And the general rule is if somebody is in the intersection or entering the intersection at a marked crosswalk, at a crosswalk, you yield. That That's kind of the rule behind all this, and it makes sense. A number of police departments, as a matter of fact, beware, they do stings where they have somebody, plainclothes police officer, for example, you know, standing on the curb, stepping out, and if people don't yield, what they do is they radio ahead and they have the car that didn't yield pull over. It's an effort to try to convince people and make motorists realize that they've got to yield to pedestrians, which brings me to this story of the death of a bicyclist um, last May. Now, here's the deal, and, and this happens, it happens up in the Cedarburg area. If you can picture, you know, Cedarburg, imagine, like, getting off the freeway. If you get off a freeway and you go west 
on on Pioneer Road. What's that? Like Highway C. Going, you know, from the freeway, you're going west to try to get to Cedarburg proper. And then you go a couple miles from the freeway, from I-43, and you come to Washington, which is the main drag that goes through Cedarburg. Well, you go a little bit past there. And, and what happens is this is kind of where that interurban bike trail is, where you have a number of bicyclists. And the bicyclists have to cross the road. It's a busy street. They've got to cross the road. So everybody knows that you have to be careful there. Well, okay, here's what happens. About 6.30 in the morning, you have this 52-year-old woman who's riding her bicycle. She's on the interurban trail. All right. She comes to the spot where the road is going to cro- – where the, the trail – where you got to go across Pioneer Road. All right. What happens is she's getting ready to enter the the area, the marked off area. At that point in time, there's a woman driving, 25-year-old woman. She's westbound on Pioneer. She sees the bicyclist paused on the side of the road waiting to cross. She stops her car and waves the bicyclist across, doing what I think most of us think that you're supposed to do. She's yielding to the bicycle. What happens then is there's a 33-year-old guy behind the woman who stopped her car. He has just pulled out of a gas station, and he merges in behind her. Once she stops to let the bicyclist pass, what the guy does is he says, well, I, I, don't, I didn't know why she stopped or slowed down. So what he does is he pulls around her in the outside lane, drives through the intersection and hits and, as it turns out, kills the woman on the bike. So you got the scenario. The one woman in the car has stopped. She's waving the bicyclist across the guy behind her pulls into the other lane to get around her, doesn't know why she stopped, and then ends up hitting the bicyclist. Bicyclist is dead. All right, horrible story. Authorities come and they look at this, and they, they do toxicology, and they find out n- nobody's drunk or anything like that. So they make the decision that under these circumstances, they don't think there's a basis for bringing criminal charges. They say, look, we, we don't think... We don't think the guy that hit and killed the bicyclist, we don't think that she's, we don't think that he's criminally negligent. You know, d- did he do stuff wrong? Well, well, yes. And as a matter of fact, they give him, I think, a ticket for um, passing a vehicle stopped for a pedestrian or a bicycle. So they, they give him a ticket, but they say, look, in order to prove criminal charges, you would have to prove this really high degree of negligence. We don't think we have it here. So they decide we're, we're not going to bring criminal charges against the guy that actually hit and killed the, the woman on the bicycle. I don't fault that decision. Not Every time you have an accident, even if you have a collision that causes somebody's life that's caused arguably by negligent negligence, that all, doesn't always mean that it is a criminal action. I mean, that's what you have the courts for, the civil courts, and you can sort it out. I don't fault the decision to not criminally charge the guy that actually hit and killed the bicyclist. It's a, it's a tough result, but in order to prove beyond a reasonable doubt a crime, I, I'm not sure that the evidence is there. Here's where I think it gets interesting, though. What they did is the woman who stopped her car to let the bicyclist pass, 
she got a ticket as well. They decided to give her a ticket for impeding traffic by slow speed, essentially violating the minimum speed limit. She stopped her car to yield to the bicyclist, to let the bicyclist cross, and she gets a ticket as well. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I got to tell you something. I think this makes no sense to me at all. One of the things that we are drilled into, that's drilled into us constantly, is the idea that, you know, you're supposed to yield to pedestrians. You're supposed to yield to bicyclists. In this case, it's the interurban trail. She stopped to yield. And it was an unfortunate set of circumstances. Look, this is a tragic type of thing. But I was always taught you yield to pedestrians, you yield to the bicyclists. It's only, I say only, it's a $100 fine. It's a $100 ticket. So it's not like she's going to jail for years and years. But I think the question really becomes, all right, what are the rules? Who knows what these rules are? And is the lesson now that we don't yield to bicyclists? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're going to be back to take calls in just a couple minutes. Hold on. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. Jeff, I take that road numerous times a day. The markings for that bike trail are deceiving to drivers because some bicyclists will some bicyclists will actually flip you off if you don't yield to them. The bike trail should have a sign that says stop, yield to vehicles because some of the bicyclists and people will just go through. You know, and that's That happens a lot. I will tell you, I always, and I've talked about this before, where you try to do, in my opinion, if you're the, if you're in a car, you try to yield to the pedestrians or yield to the bicyclist. And what ends up happening is like, if you're in the right lane, you stop. And then the person in the next lane, they're not going to stop. I'm actually surprised that things like this don't happen more often. But No criminal charges. I have no problem with that. I think that's the right result. But the woman who stopped to yield in the first place, she got a ticket for moving too slow. She was trying to yield, I think, to probably be a good Samaritan, a good neighbor to let the bicyclist pass. Did she deserve the ticket? Let's start with Tracy in Mequon. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Jeff. What do you think? I'm good. What do you think? Did she deserve the ticket? Yeah, unfortunately, she did. Um, I'm an avid cyclist. And um, I know on that trail, there is a stop sign. You yield to pedestrians, but bikes are supposed to be treated like vehicles. So if you have a stop sign, you need to stop. If she wanted to go by, she needed to get off her bike and walk her bike through. And I'm sure many bicyclists don't. So if I see a biker, I don't yield to a biker unless I see they're off their bike and ready to walk across the intersection. It just it just makes sense. I mean, when I'm out even not cycling on a trail like that and there's a stop sign that I've come up to and the cross traffic doesn't have one, I don't expect them to stop. I okay. need to wait, and that's just how it goes. When she does, but okay, let's talk about the real world though, Tracy. Doesn't this happen a lot where you see the one car that's out on the road at 6.30 in the morning, that they'll stop and... I think they probably think they're doing you a favor by just waving you across, giving you seating the right of way, essentially. Yeah, I, I get a little annoyed when people do that because I'm, I'm a cyclist. I'm not a pedestrian. 
I, I'll be honest, I get in a waving habit, like like a waving competition. No, okay. no, I got to time. You got to go. Okay, so you don't I'm want you don't want people to like stop at the crosswalk and and wave you across. You, you'd rather them just keep going. Yeah, not when I'm on my bike. Got it. Okay. Okay, no, th- thanks for the call. And again, it, the, the law is a little bit tricky. She's right that that bicyclists are bicyclists are are treated as vehicles when they're on the road. When they're on a sidewalk, it's it's different. Um, I think what the district attorney was was holding. The, it, I don't think the district attorney was making a distinction in making their decision between her being on foot or um, her being on a, on a bike. I think what they were saying is that, well, they didn't know for sure that she was ready to cross or something like that. But, I mean, th- this is a mess. And like I say, I'm surprised this doesn't happen more often. And it's one of the things that's always in the back of my mind when I decide, okay, I think – I think under the law, I'm supposed to yield. All right, and I'm in the right lane and I stop. What happens if that person walks out in front and the person next to me who's driving in the left lane, they decide that they don't have to yield? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Randy in Brookfield. Randy, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Randy. What uh, do you think? I've, I ride the trails of Oxshaw a lot. I have ridden that trail. Um, a lot of times when you come to a crossroad, cars will stop out of a courtesy. I kind of like the last call, I think that they should just keep going. I'd rather have them clear out, and then I can cross. But in this case, she was doing a courtesy. I don't think she should have got a ticket. Well, I guess... Um, it, it, yeah, it, I guess... a patient driver behind her that can't wait, and, you know, you see it a lot. Right. And, drive the roads. Yeah, I, I guess that's maybe at the end of the day, that's kind of what struck me about this. What is the point of giving this lady a ticket? You know, I mean, it's she she was doing I think there is a lot of uncertainty and a lack of clarity about what the rules are when you you come up to these intersections. Most of the times what you see is people blow through the crosswalks instead of yielding. In this case, she ended up yielding because, again, it was a courtesy or whatever. She didn't know the guy behind her was going to be impatient or whatever and was going to pull around her. What what it what purpose do we serve by giving her a hundred dollar ticket? I'm I'm sure she exactly. feels horrible. No, and I, I understand by by yielding to the bicyclist, she set all this in motion, but but she was trying to do what I think a lot of us would say, oh, it's the right thing. We're going to yield to the bicyclist right. and let them cross. Right. Now, yeah. we don't know where she was from. A lot of small towns, they have signs up. <clears throat> if there's a pedestrian on the corner or on the curb, you have to stop and allow them to cross. Well, right. You don't and have to step into the road as long as they're there, because my dad got pulled over for that and almost got a ticket for that. So if in her thinking, if she's thinking that, well, i got to stop once these bicycles go cross, you know. Right. Yeah, that was no, you're you're exactly right. No, thanks for that. And that's and and that's that's where there is this uncertainty because pedestrians and let's for the moment, let's not get hang hung up on, you know, whether she was on the bike or whether she was on foot. I mean, she's she the the woman who ended up getting killed on her bike was crossing at a marked intersection. Now she did have a stop sign, but what happens is that the driver stopped to yield to her I'm figuring, hey, there's this crosswalk. I see this person that's there. I'm I'm going to let them go past. I've 
and, you know, once I heard about this, I drove through it. This it, this is a bad crossing section, and maybe I'm just more sensitive about this now because I, I'm starting to ride bikes and all a lot. This is it's a very treacherous area, and if nothing else comes from this, it needs to be better marked, and the responsibilities of different people need to be set down because this was kind of a freak accident. But you could see exactly how this happened. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. TJ in Germantown. TJ, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. What do you think? Uh, I really do believe she should have went ahead and got the ticket. I think we need to have people stop, stop where she needs to stop at these crosswalks. Out in Germantown, there's a, a trail called the Plug Line. It's a uh-huh. very nice trail. Sure. I walk it all the time. I drive past it. That Plug Line trail crosses uh, very busy roads, several places, and I just don't think that it should be on the drivers to stop for the bicycle. It should be on the bicycle people to stop for a driver. If you make a mistake and you're on a bicycle, unfortunately, you can get hit and, and right. hit, get injured and killed. Uh, I have almost gotten rear-ended several times driving my motorcycle through these streets and crossings. When the person in front of me stopped for a motorcycle uh, for a bicyclist, I stopped my motorcycle and someone behind me comes screaming up behind me and just right. lays on the brakes and barely stops. At me. Right. I, I want to be nice. I want the bicyclist to have a good time. But we shouldn't have to stop for them. They should have to stop for us. Right. And even and you're saying this even if it's a even if it's a marked crosswalk, you don't think they should have the right of way. Uh, I I really don't. I just do not. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I you raise an interesting point. Now, thanks for the call. I, I just the law on this, and I've been talking about this for a couple of years. The law on this is a mess, a- and this case kind of underscores. You know, why, why it is a mess. And I just don't think people know how they are supposed to handle these typical situations. And I, again, I'm not sure what giving the lady a ticket accomplishes here. Jeff, I completely agree with your caller who doesn't cross when a car waves her on. It happens to me all the time when I'm walking. I refuse because I don't trust the other drivers to stop. I'll wait all day if I have to. Now that's, that's a practical, real-world type of thing. And, again, that's always kind of in the back of my mind. All right, so let's say there's a right, – I used to live in Whitefish Bay. Okay, so let's say if you were going north on Marlboro towards Silver Spring, it's actually – it's kind of like two lanes north, two lanes south. There's a library there. Somebody crossing by the library – I could be like in the one lane. I could stop to yield from them. Who do you know? Who knows whether the person in the other lane is going to yield or not? That's why, as a practical matter, if I was a pedestrian, I don't care what the law says. I don't care who has the right of way. If I'm a pedestrian or I'm a bi- on a bicycle, I don't want to tangle with an automobile because the bottom line is I'm going to lose that. All right. So the point of this presentation, I guess, is she, she got a ticket. If it were up to me. I don't see what you accomplish by giving her a ticket. I think it's still largely unclear as to whether you have the right of way or not. But bottom line on all this is these areas need to be better marked. And I think the Department of Transportation and local law enforcement needs to do a much, much better job of telling people what their various rights and obligations are. And if we're going to say that pedestrians and bicyclists shouldn't have the right of way in these crosswalks, that's fine. But that's not my understanding of the law. Bottom line is, it's a tragedy. 
criminal charges I think clearly weren't warranted in this case. But this is the type of thing that can happen again and will happen again unless collectively we get our act together when it comes with interacting with pedestrians and bicyclists and people in cars. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, individually, every move that the Brewers have made over the offseason, I think, looked at it individually, it, it makes sense. They let Yasmani Grandal go because the Chicago White Sox were willing to pay the guy, what, 80-some million dollars, 70-some million dollars over four years. Grandal was a 31-year-old catcher who had a great year for the Brewers last year, but he's a 31-year-old catcher. He's got defensive issues from time to time and probably has a lot of miles on him. So the Brewers didn't want to commit to four years. So, okay, they, they let their starting catcher, arguably the best-hitting catcher in the National League, go. Grandal goes to the American League where he can be a catcher and a designated hitter. Okay, so that move makes sense. Brewers don't commit $72 million over four years. Okay, make makes sense. Mike Moustakas, a guy who played for the Brewers for the last year and a half, fan favorite, uh, a, a contributor, a team guy, willing to move from third base to second base when the Brewers needed him, willing to move back to third base, didn't complain, hit well. All right, um, I think a lot of us would have loved to have seen Moustakas come back, but Cincinnati drops $64 million for Moustakas over a four-year deal. He's 31 years old. I will tell you, most of the national publications think that Moustakas is a good player, but that Cincinnati way, 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 way overpaid. So can you fault the Brewers for not overpaying to keep Moustakas? No. So they save, you know, they save the money that, that they, they paid him, I think, $10 million last year. They, they save this money. They don't commit. So it makes sense. You don't want to – you never want to get in a position where you overpay. So that makes sense. So then yesterday they decide, okay, Travis Shaw, we have to decide whether we're going to go to arbitration and offer contracts to some of these players that are going to get big raises. Travis Shaw, who had two great years for the Brewers and was just a great guy, got a chance to interview him a couple times on opening day. Real, I really liked him. Him. But last year, he completely and totally went into the tank. He, he hit like 157. They sent him to the minors. It's like he had never played baseball before. And the question the Brewers faced with Shaw was, okay, what what's happened here? And do we want to commit $5 million, which is what it would have cost, $5 million to bring Travis Shaw back? Because we don't know if it's the Travis Shaw from two years ago or the guy that completely forgot to hit. So I understand that. Eric Thames. Okay, Eric Thames would have been due six and a half million dollars, and he was essentially like a platoon, platoon type of player. Brewers decide, okay, well, six and a half million dollars, that's a lot of money. We don't want to make that commitment. Jimmy Nelson, same thing. We love Jimmy Nelson. He was due for a big raise, and ever since that awful injury he had a couple years ago, he, he just... You hope he can make it back, but the Brewers didn't want to have to commit like $5 million to bring him back. So they let him go. All these different decisions make sense if you look at them individually. All right, the problem is, collectively, you got nobody to play right now. 
You, you've got no catcher. I mean, Manny Pena, but he's a backup. You've got no first baseman. You've got no third baseman. You've traded away your principal backup outfielder, and your starting rotation is no better and arguably worse, plus you lost Drew Pomerantz. Same sort of thing. They get Pomerantz over in midseason from San Francisco. He's having an awful year. He has a great half a season, and then... Who was it? San Diego pays him $34 million. 34, was it San Diego? $34 million, which is just crazy money. So, I mean, I, yes, do I, would you expect the Brewers to pay Drew Pomerantz $34 million? Of course not. Would you expect them to pay Grandal all this money? Of course not. Would you expect them to Moustakas all this money? No. But at some point in time, you've you got to start to replace the, these players. So the Brewers have saved a whole bunch of, of money. But at the same time, you've got Christian Yelich for two or three more years. You know, this is not a time that you want to do a rebuilding thing. You know, you want to say, hey, are we going to upgrade? So if if I were, and I am a Brewers fan, I'd be looking at these moves, and I'd be a little bit panicked because I see a lot of talent going out, and I don't see too much talent coming in. Now, the one thing that's happened is they've saved a bunch of money, so they can be a player in trying to get some frontline from frontline help. I will say this, though. If they don't do that, if they don't go out and spend all this money that they've saved by not re-signing Rondell and not re-signing um, Moustakas and letting some of these other players go, I, I think you're going to have a fan base that is very, very upset and will deservedly be upset. So, candidly, you kind of wonder what the Brewers are doing. Again, individually, these decisions make sense. Collectively, you got to have somebody that's going to play. And I think um, it should be an interesting offseason because I, I don't think the Brewers want to take a step backwards. I think they're willing to spend the money. And now they've sure got a lot of money to spend. But it would be nice to see them start doing that because I understand pennants aren't won at the beginning of December, but they're, they're starting to run out of players. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric Bilstadt, this, uh, we're still waiting for the start of this press conference up at uh, authorities up regarding the shooting at Oshkosh West mm-hmm. High School. Um, for people who might just be tuning in this is the second day in a row that we've had a shooting in a high school first one of course being in waukesha yesterday at waukesha south and then uh today oshkosh west which is a school it's grades 9 through 12 about 1400 kids the reports at least so far was that a student um with a weapon confronted a school resource officer tuesday morning um both were injured so presumably they both shot at each other. Yeah, that's what we are expecting to hear, although at this point we don't have many of the details. We do know at least that the SRO had fired a weapon. As of now, we're not sure what was fired, if anything, from the student, but we should learn here when they hold this news conference. Um, eerily similar in some ways to the situation yesterday, just because that one also involved an SRO and other officers. And it looks like now we are starting to see them come in. This might be the police chief now. I'm going to bring this up. The police chief is now at the podium along with several other members of the law enforcement community there. Good afternoon. My name is Dean Smith. I'm the chief of police for the city of Oshkosh. Uh, we also have the, the school superintendent, Dr. Vicki Cartwright, to my left, who will be giving some remarks uh, after I complete uh, my remarks. To spell my name, it's Dean Smith, D-E-A-N-S-M-I-T-H. So, 
I'd like to begin by stating that the information that we are providing today is very preliminary and the investigation into this incident is ongoing. Today at 9.12 a.m., Winnebago County Sheriff's Communication Center received a radio transmission from the school resource officer at Oshkosh West High School, located at 375 North Eagle Street. The radio transmission was garbled, but they were able to hear from the officer who called for help and to send an ambulance. The first responding officer arrived on scene at 9.14 a.m., that's two minutes after the call for help, and made immediate entry into the school. It is believed that he went to the school resource officer's location to assist. Additional officers arrived, and the school implemented ALICE procedures, including lockdown. It was determined that there was an altercation at the SRO's office between the officer and a 16-year-old student. Initial reports saw that the student produced a weapon and stabbed the officer, at which time the officer fired on the student, striking the student one time. Life-saving measures were provided to both the officer and the suspect in this incident. Officers, arrived, officers arriving began to clear the school and ensure the safety of all other students and school staff. The school was declared secure at 11.18 a.m. A reunification point was established at Perry, Perry Tipler Middle School in order to bring parents and students back together. We appreciate the response from our parents and their understanding of the seriousness of this incident and their patience through this process. We anticipate the reunification of parents and their children will be completed no later than 2 p.m. today. There are approximately 1,700 students who attend Oshkosh West High School, as well as numerous teachers and staff members. We believe that there was only one suspect involved in this incident, and this incident was isolated to this encounter. Both the officer and the student were transported to a local hospital and are being treated at this time. Due to the nature of this incident, the investigation has been turned over to the State Department of Criminal Investigations who will conduct the investigation. It is estimated that there was at least 75 officers from the area on scene. And finally, I would like to thank our partners in public safety and the school district, Oshkosh Fire and Rescue, Winnebago County Sheriff's Department, UWO Police, Nina Police, Winnicani, Amro, Menasha Police, Wisconsin State Patrol, and the Department of Criminal Investigations, as well as Winnebago County District Attorney. We also received numerous offers of assistance from surrounding law enforcement agencies, and their support is appreciated. I would like to say to the Oshkosh community that the safety of our students is paramount to all of us. We care deeply for the well-being of each of our students, and our officers will do whatever it takes to ensure the safety of those students and the staff at the schools. We ask that you keep our students and our officers and first responders in your thoughts as we also work to bring normalcy to our communities as well. Dr. Cartwright. Good afternoon. My name is Dr. Cartwright. Um, I do have with me my board president, Dr. Bar Barbara Herzog, and my board vice president, Kelly Olmstead. Today's incident was a contained situation. First and foremost, we are so grateful for the proactive safety measures in place throughout our district, as well as our partnership with local and state law enforcement. Our students and staff followed our emergency protocols, including our ALICE protocols of alert, lockdown, inform, counter, and evacuate. We are very thankful for our community partners who took students into their facilities for those individuals that chose to evacuate during today's event. Again, West High School students were evacuated to a reunification site at Perry Tipler Middle School. 
Students were released to their parents as soon as possible following the district's reunification protocol used when a school has to be evacuated. We are very grateful to the families of Oshkosh West students for following our safety procedures and their patience and cooperation during the reunification process. Our students' safety is our number one priority. We are committed to providing a school environment where students can feel safe in mind and body. Today's tragic event shows that trained school resource officers can help save lives. We are grateful for our partnership with our local law enforcement agencies, as well as our trained staff and proactive approach to emergency response within the Oshkosh Area School District. School tomorrow will be canceled. I will repeat that. Schools will be canceled for all Oshkosh Area School District schools on Wednesday, December the 4th, 2019. We will be communicating with families later today about counseling services that will be available on Wednesday and in the coming days. We will continue to communicate information to our families and ask that all district families check their IC parent portal accounts for additional information. This information will also be available on the district's website as well as our Facebook page. Thank you. Dr. Cartwright and I will be available for brief questions and please understand as it relates to your questions, this is very early. We won't be able to give you any information related to the investigation. I apologize for that, but as you know, the sensitivity of this, of this investigation, we want to make sure that DCI has the opportunity to get it right. So we'll take a few questions. Chief, you said that they were one at a time, please. One at a time, Chief, sir. You said that they were in the SRO's office when this altercation took place? That is our understanding, yes. you know what they were doing? Not at this time. That's part of the investigation. Did he want he to or you said that he had a weapon, but was that weapon a knife? You said that he was stabbed. What? It's our belief that it was an edged weapon at this time. Edged weapon, you're not calling it a knife? Uh, at this time, I don't have that information. Conditions of the officer and the students? The Both the officer and the student are being treated right now at a local hospital. We believe that their injuries are not life-threatening. Chief, we heard from students outside the middle school that they are, with rumors spreading around inside the student body, there's warning over social media, more specifically Snapchat. Have you all found anything that may indicate there was a threat prior to this attack? And that's still a part of the investigation. I can't speak to that at this time. Was the second part student? Hold on one second. Choosing yeah. to evacuate, can you explain that? In your opening statement, you talked about people who chose to evacuate. So during the ALICE protocol, ALICE, uh, when we train for this, there are such times where it is more practical to evacuate versus going into a lockdown situation. So rather than keeping students in a facility in a lockdown situation and there is a potential um, person with a weapon, if you are at a position within that facility in order to evacuate, to remove yourself from harm, that is the proper protocol to utilize at that time. So some of the, some of the students did that and some then hungered down in their, in their classrooms. We got that information from students, but is that your understanding that it was it was a mix of responses? That is correct, and that is exactly what Alice calls for. Um, and as we know from the research across the entire nation at this point in time, the, lock, the traditional lockdown method is not necessarily the best method in order to keep students safe. That is why we continuously do training with our students and our staff related to these Alice protocols. Chief, uh, the officers, Hold on one second. Can you state that again, please? 
All school resource officers that are in the Oshkosh Area School District that are within the city of Oshkosh are current Oshkosh police officers. Yes, sir. Was he stabbed in the left or the right? I'm not going to speak to his injuries at this time. Was the suspect a current student? Dr. Carvin? The suspect is, yes, a current student at Oshkosh West High School. Have any other schools received threats? We've also heard rumors that someone said Oshkosh North is next. Do you have anything? Um, it's our understanding that there, there may be some additional rumors of, of threats out there. We're still investigating that at this time. Do you believe that this may have been inspired possibly by yesterday's attack in Waukesha? That would be a part of the investigation. I can't speak to that. What kind of conversation should parents, guardians be having with their kids right now? I think that both the parents and, and their family members, uh, and, and this is resonating throughout law enforcement community, throughout the school district, and throughout all the community that embraces all of our students. We care about you. We want you to be safe. And we're going to do everything we can to make sure that you're going to be okay. This is a tragedy. This is something that no school district, no city, no community wants to face. But together, we're going to, we're going to come through. We're going, to, we're going to make everybody whole. Do you know what kind of firearm the SRO uh, uh, the SRO would, would carry a 9mm. Hoshkosh Police Chief Dean Smith giving an update on the situation from this morning at Oshkosh West High School. This started in the school resource officer's office, the SRO's office, a 16-year-old student was in the office with this officer, produced a weapon, stabbed that officer. That's when the SRO fired at the student, hitting that student once. Both have been taken to the hospital. Both are expected to recover. Also, the uh, superintendent announcing that all area schools in Oshkosh, all Oshkosh schools tomorrow will be closed. Class is expected to resume the following day. And the interesting thing, one of the many interesting things to me, Eric, was the fact that apparently the call came in at 9.12, and they said that they had Two police minutes, officers yeah. on the scene by 9.14. Amazing. Oh, it is. And Two I mean, minutes. I guess for people who, I don't know, might might question police response or things like that, I mean, to me, that, that that's amazing. And it sounds like very quickly, I mean, if they said the first people were on the scene were there within two minutes, and then very quickly they, they had 50 or 60 officers mm -hmm. on, on the scene, even though it sounds like this was something that was under control. I mean, you had the officer that was stabbed, and then he shot the, the kid. Um, I, but, it, I mean, I think the police certainly handled this in an in a exemplary fashion. The chief was asked whether or not he believes this is tied to what happened yesterday at Waukesha South. He said that's part of the investigation. He wasn't going to get into that. And speaking of Waukesha South, we expect to get an update on that shooting at that high school at one thirty this afternoon. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Let's join the press conference that just started in Waukesha with updates on yesterday's Captain shooting. Provide a little more context to the incident and answer some questions. First, I'd like to thank our amazing community, the city of Waukesha. The support we have received is why the city of Waukesha is such a strong-knit community. Your kind words, generous food drop-offs, and most importantly, your thoughts and prayers mean a great deal to our organization. The words thank you are not enough to show how much we appreciate your support. To the students, you did exactly as you were trained. You saw something and you said something. That information allowed the school resource officer, Waukesha South staff, and students to re react as trained and assisted in preventing the situation from spreading throughout the school, thus mitigating harm 
to others. This is Russell. To the Waukesha South community, we thank you. And we are glad no officers and no staff or other students were injured. The 17-year-old suspect in this case was transported to Children's Hospital and received exceptional care. The suspect was greeted by a team of highly trained and prepared medical professionals. After the suspect went through surgery, he was placed in intensive care and will be eventually transported to the general floor. The suspect is in stable condition. The SRO at Waukesha South did a great job responding immediately to the information and was able to remove many students from harm's way. While that was happening, a different officer was forced to discharge his firearm based on the imminent threat the suspect posed. That 11-year veteran of the department was Sergeant Brady Esser, E-S-S-E-R, Sergeant Brady Esser. I am so proud of these officers, as well as the many officers and deputies that responded to the scene. Most people run away from danger. Law enforcement officers run towards danger, especially when someone is threatening our children. There were reports that the SRO was the officer that was the one who discharged his firearm, as the SRO was present in the classroom. That report did not come from us. That misinformation being shared resulted in media outlets going to the SRO's, SRO's house, causing undue stress to him and his family. We typically do not name the officer so early in the investigation. However, because of those media outlets, Sergeant Esser preferred his name be released in order to allow other officers and their families the ability to remain their privacy. To that end, we are requesting you do not reach out to him for comments or go to his residence. Please respect Sergeant Esser's privacy. Thank you. That's the comments from me. Now you'll hear from Captain Dan Ballman, who will provide some additional information. Thank you. Thank you, Chief. As the Chief said, I'll be, answer, I'll be able to answer a few questions. However, the answers will be narrow in scope, as we may need to maintain the integrity of the investigation and respect the judicial process. Also, we are very mindful of the parallel investigation being conducted by the Milwaukee Area Investigative Team, with the lead agency being the City of Greenfield Police Department. MATE will be investigating the officer-involved shooting incident, and the City of Waukesha Police Department will be investigating the criminal actions of the suspect. Relative to the incident, the SRO received information that a student had a gun in a classroom. Furthermore, the student told the SRO that the gun had been pointed at a student's head. The SRO and detective were in the SRO's office. They immediately responded to that classroom and requested more officers' assistance. The remaining students and teacher were able to evacuate the room as the SRO and detective began dialogue with the suspect. As earlier reported, the suspect removed the gun from his hoodie and pointed it at the officers. I'm going to show you a couple pictures now and direct you to the monitor over here. The first picture is of Sergeant Brady Esser, the 11-year veteran of the police department who was involved in the officer-involved shooting. And the second picture is the picture of the gun that the suspect had in his hand at the time of the incident.
what's happening is they're doing a slide presentation, and um, there's a technical glitch. glitch That's with what the, the suspect had in his hand. We're going to go to the third picture. The third picture is of Waukesha police officers after, place, after placing the suspect in handcuffs, immediately rendering aid. If you can see, the suspect was shot in the leg, was shot in the arm two times, and one time in the leg. The officers immediately applied the a tourniquet to his upper thigh, stopping the bleeding, as well as applying a second tourniquet on the upper right thigh with a tourniquet. In the, on his right upper arm in the bicep area, there's also a tourniquet that was applied. This stopped the bleeding and allowed the fire department to perform advanced life care to the suspect. And then we'll go in the last photo. The last photo is the suspect's backpack with a subsequent firearm in it, with a total of two firearms that were on the scene in the classroom. To that, I will open up to a few questions, however, reminding everyone that we will be limited on details that I can be released at this time out of respect for mate and the integrity of the investigation. Jim, go ahead. The guns were uh, pellet guns after we revealed those, after we were able to investigate that. Any way to know what his motive was, why he brought these to school? Uh, he was angry. He was angry. Did he say that? How do you guys know that? Uh, we had limited conversation with him in the ambulance. Angry at students, angry at staff? Uh, angry at another student. Was that student the one that the gun was pointed at in class? Correct. How's that student doing? So that student is doing well, doing well. He, he was part of one of the students that reached out to us in regards to the, uh, getting the SRO's attention at that time. So. We saw that you guys had some squad cars on campus there today. Do you know how long you guys plan to keep extra officers there? As long as that we're needed right now. I think this is a, 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 a normal response to an abnormal event for us is that we're going to increase our presence to ensure that the students feel safe. I think one of the most rewarding and um, I don't mean to uh, highlight to you the 58, but you guys came up to me yesterday and you said you, you were overwhelmed how impressed you were with the students saying they felt safe at school with the SRO in the building and that they wanted to attend school today. And I think that was one of our biggest um, um, things that we could receive as, as, a, as an agency, that the students felt safe with us being there. So. Do you know how long the communication was between the students being taken out of the room and uh, this incident occurring? Contemporaneously. It was, they saw the gun, they, the SRO happens, give or take five yards, they're about 30 yards away from the SRO's office to this classroom. Were any students actually in the classroom when the gun was fired? No. Everybody was evacuated. And how long has the resource officer been uh, at the this specific one or all the SROs? Um, this specific one. He started this year, correct? August. August 1st. Do you guys have any reaction to uh, similar incidents happening in Oshkosh right now? Obviously very preliminary, but um, very relatable. 
I appreciate the question. I don't have enough information at this time to make a comment other than our hearts and prayers go out to the Oshkosh Police Department, uh, the officer that was involved, as well as the Oshkosh community. Anybody else? Did you say whether the pellet guns were loaded? I do not know that. And do you know, I mean, is it hard to get a pellet gun? There's no... It's very easy to get a pellet gun. And if you look at this last picture right here, if you look at that muzzle, and I know people are going to say stuff about, oh, you can tell the difference between a pellet gun and a real gun. You can't. I will get 100 firearms experts to look at that picture right there, and 100 will say that's a firearm, period. Yeah, you're listening to the, the press conference that they had where they just released a few more details of the shooting yesterday at at the Waukesha School. Um, suspect in Waukesha was shot three times by the uh, the SRO, twice in the arm, once in, in the leg. And amazingly and miraculously, almost none of them were, were fatal. He was taken to Children's and he was operated on, and they say he's in stable condition. They say that he had a pellet gun, and that was what a couple of the questions were. Um, it, if you have an opportunity later on to, to see the pictures that they have now made public, it, it's very clear this it looks like a real weapon. I don't know that there's any way that the school resource officer could have told the difference between what this kid actually had and whether it was a real firearm or not. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, they say the motive was that the suspect was angry at another student, and, and that's kind of what you have. But again, a situation where the police responded in an incredibly professional and a fast fashion. Um, everybody is safe. But, boy, I tell you, you just have one incident after another. This, of course, was yesterday. Today you have the story about the kid who shows up at the Oshkosh school, and with they're not calling it a knife specifically, but they say it's an edged edged weapon, and stab the SRO there, causing the SRO to to fire on him. Two incidents like this in two days. Um, Wow. But um, those are the details that are emerging. Ultimately, my guess is there will be criminal charges and more details will certainly be forthcoming. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. The numbers are in, and we'll continue to bring you more details, but I, I think at this point in time, it, it's pretty clear, you know, what ended up happening in Waukesha, and I, I guess more details will emerge with regard to the arguments and things like that, you know, what set the kid off. But, again, a, a good police response, it appears. The initial reports that were coming out yesterday saying it was a school resource officer that was the one who actually was involved in the shooting, that was incorrect. It was another officer that was on the scene. But there, there's no question about this. The presence of the school resource officer clearly, I think, diffused the situation, helped evacuate students, made everybody safe, and is clearly a justification for having school resource officers that are present. All right. The final numbers are in from the gun deer season and they're they're not good um apparently the numbers of deers that were killed that were registered it's the lowest number since 1980 160,769 deer were registered as killed 
That, again, you got to go back to 1980 when they had about 139,000 that were registered. That you got to go back to 1980 to find fewer deer that were taken. To give you a perspective, last year, about 214,000 deer were taken. That's a 25% decline. A 25% decline. They estimated that there were approximately 1% fewer hunters that were out there as well. Now, There's a lot of thought about what went wrong here or what happened here. One is the fact that you had the latest possible start to the hunting season because Thanksgiving was as late as it could possibly be. Also, there were warm conditions. You still had, um, for example, some fields where there was still growth, so the visibility wasn't that great. There wasn't any snow for the opening weekend, so you couldn't track the deer. But this comes on the heels of the estimates that, you know, you had the largest deer population that you've had in years. They estimated like 1.8 to 2 million deer, and and yet only 160,000 were taken. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Here's my question, because deer hunting is such an important part of the, the culture of Wisconsin. It's also so important to the tourism industry. You know, we need people to travel to particularly a lot of these areas where there's the deer hunters abound, and, and you need them to keep coming back and coming back and coming back. I appreciate that there is a value and there is a pleasure and there's fun to be had in you know going out with your friends and can, your kids or your grandkids or whatever and keeping the hunting tradition going. At the same time, if you go year after year and don't get a deer, pretty soon you decide, well, I'm, I'm going to take up bowling or, or something like that. Here is what I would like to discuss with you. These numbers, not good. There are explanations that are out there, like I just said. But, all right, is there an ongoing problem or was this just kind of a, a, a one-off year where everything kind of came together. It's the late hunting season. It's the fact that you still had vegetation in a lot of the areas. Is this something to be worried about? Is it the start of a trend? Or, hey, next year things are going to be back to normal. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Does the tourism industry need to be concerned? Or, again, is this just one of those freak years that happens? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, and, again, there, there's also another factor that we didn't mention. More and more people are, are switching to bow hunting, and so some of those folks aren't out there, you know, with the, doing the gun deer hunting. But I don't think that's anywhere near enough to explain the kind of drastic drop that they saw. Let's start with Roger in Greenfield. Roger, you're first. Hi, Roger. You there? Hi, Roger. What do you think? I think that uh, one thing that hasn't been mentioned is, is the standing corn left up in Wisconsin. Uh, central Wisconsin, southwestern Wisconsin, the farmers haven't been able to, to, to get out there and pick it because it's been so wet and it's so muddy. And I think that has a, a big factor on, on the, the right. 
Yeah, no, and thanks for calling. Yeah, I mean, and that's, I mean, that's what they were saying is that you had the, the growth of vegetation and things like that in a number of areas. And as a result, people weren't able to get clean shots and stuff. And, and so that's, if you want to believe that this is just like, it's a, it's a one off. It's just one of these years where everything kind of came together and prevented, you know, a larger harvest. I mean, there's certainly justification for that. Let's talk to John in Sheboygan. John, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi. Um, this is all just my opinion, and I'm a 40-year hunter. And being out had a good thing going for a long time, but now they got this hogwash stuff that they're just telling you now. The real reason that the numbers are down is because they changed the way registration is done, and people just are, don't have to. There's no consequences, so they don't register deer anymore. And so the numbers are down because they're not registered. Do you think that explains the 25% drop? I yeah, I do. Okay. Uh, that's I, I mean that's a I mean thanks for call that 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 that's a that's a lot. I mean like I say 2018 they had about 214,000 deer that were were taken and registered. Now that's down to 160,000. I guess it's just it's tough for me to believe that um you know you've got what's that 54,000 you know, 54,000 people, you know, 54,000 deers are taken, that deer was taken, that, that people aren't registering. I, I think, I mean, candidly, I, I think it's it's kind of a bigger picture than that. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Eric in Random Lake. Eric, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jack, how are you doing? Real well, thank you. Okay, is this a long-term problem or no? No, I'm, I'm saying let's give it another year and see what happens. I mean, I hunted, I took all week off and hunted almost every day in private property, and I only seen six deer. So um, in Fondalai County, most of the corn was off around by me. I see by Cedarburg, most of it's standing. So um, that could play a factor into it. But my wife got a deer, a buck opening day, and um, and I hit one with my van the next Saturday driving to go hunting. So, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so just the way it goes. How did, how did, how did uh, it, it, I assume that that did not work out well for well, both the deer I, I and got, the car. I got, I got the deer and I got $125 when I brought the van to the scrap. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. 414-799-1620. Chris in Kenosha. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking the call. Sure. I've been hunting for 36 years. And I actually work for the state in the law enforcement capacity. I know a lot of wardens and a lot of biologists. In the conversations we've been having, and I hunt in northern Wisconsin, is there is a lack of deer, which is going to come out publicly. However, they've confirmed in areas I hunt, they don't understand it, that there's not many deer anymore. So I'm now questioning how we're actually coming to the counts and one deer equals how many deer per square mile. Oh, so you're, you're questioning when, when they originally came out with these estimates where they said there was going to be 1.8 to 2 million deer, that's the size of the herd. You think that's inflated? I think that number is inflated. Because right. 20 years ago, you see 20 deer a day going and hunting. Now I can go days without ever seeing a deer. Right. Is so, this, I mean... Is, is this an ongoing problem that, that needs to be addressed? I mean, again, it, it's one year, and so you can kind of say, okay, it, it's just one year. But if it if it continues to have these kind of precipitous drops, that that's going to have an impact on tourism, isn't it? Oh, that's correct. I mean, that's, that's money. I didn't drive to northern Wisconsin this year to hunt, and, you know, I figured out how much money that is just driving up north for fuel, food, where you're staying, because I'm not seeing any deer. And year after year, as you mentioned earlier, well, if you're not seeing animals, you're not harvesting anything. You give the example, well, somebody's going to go up and go bowling. Well, I'm not going bowling, but 
I think an accurate count needs to be established, and I think this goes back to where the DNR has been handling it for a couple of years. And like I said, I know a lot of people that work for the law enforcement and biologist capacity in the DNR, and speaking with them, it's I think it's a little different how they're calculating what really is out there. Right, and then you create unreasonable expectations. If, if people read this, oh, this is the year I'm going to get. I haven't seen a deer in the last four years, but they say there's two million out there now, so we're going to drive up there, and you're pretty optimistic, that, and then you don't see one or you don't get a shot off or whatever. It gets disappointing, I would imagine. That's correct, and to try to take a youth out there, and if you take them two or three years and they don't even see a deer, they don't have the tolerance to sit and wait. If you're taking a 10-year-old, 11-year-old out, you don't see anything for three days in a row. They don't want to sit out in the woods anymore and be cold, and it's like, why am I doing this? Right, right. Now, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Again, I, I think it's too soon to push the panic button, and, and let, let's... I mean, let's understand that there's still, what, 500-plus thousand people that, you know, got deer hunting licenses. So that's uh, the gun deer licenses. And so that that's still an enormous impact. It's just something I think that people need to be off uh, be aware of, especially given the precipitous drop that you had from, this year, from last year to this year. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. All right, we talk a lot about traffic and roadways in southeastern Wisconsin. And we talk about the crowds, and we've had an ongoing discussion for a number of years about... The, the whole situation of the Marquette interchange and should we expand the freeway between, for example, downtown and the zoo. We've had all these ongoing fights and some stuff gets done, some stuff doesn't get done. Well, if you think traffic is bad around here, talk to people who live in the Madison area and have to drive along the Beltline. The Beltline is, of course, the, the freeway area that kind of circles around the city. Now, now here's the deal. That stretch of roadway currently handles about 120,000 vehicles per day. So it is extremely busy. It is extremely congested. Here's what they estimate, that that the vehicles that travel that every day, they estimate that that's about 40,000 more vehicles per day than two decades ago. And they estimate that in the next, oh, I don't know, 10 years or so, that number of cars is going to go from, you know, 120,000 vehicles per day to about 145,000 vehicles. So the the number of people that are in their cars and are driving, it's increasing dramatically. At the same time, Madison and Dane County are adding about 6,000 residents a year. So you've got more cars, more people moving into the area, and obviously crowded freeways already that are going to be getting nothing but more crowded. Well, there's a couple different options. One way you can deal with this, of course, is to say we're going to have a, a massive a massive expenditure. We're going to do what, for example, we've been fighting about here in southeastern Wisconsin for years. We're going to dramatically increase the size of the freeway. We're going to add lanes. We're going to, you know, figure out how we're going to do that. And then, of course, you get into the fights with the people who own the land adjacent to the freeways, all those different things. And you're also talking about investments of probably, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Okay, that's an option. That's not what the DOT wants to do in Madison. Here's what they would like to propose. Right right now on uh, the Beltline, or what we'll call it the freeway, there is 
there there are two shoulders. There's the shoulder on the right hand side of of the road, and then there's a median strip. There's there's a like there's a, a median like a concrete median barrier, and there's a shoulder on that side as well. So you've got two shoulders. What they're proposing to do is to take the interior shoulder. By interior, I mean it's the one that's along where the the median wall is and turn that into a part-time traffic lane. What they would do is they would reconfigure and they would, um, again, refurbish and construct that lane. So it's now kind of like the shoulder, and they would turn it into a traffic lane. And what they would do is it wouldn't be something that would be used all the time for traffic, what it would be used for is during, for example, rush hour. They would put, and I'm looking at an example of this now, they would put like overhead signs, which include a green arrow and a red X. And this would specify when the shoulder lane is open for use and when it's closed. In an emergency, the lane could be closed to accommodate a broken down car, a crash, or an emergency vehicle. Okay, so you you essentially are creating another lane by turning one of the two shoulders into a, a lane that you could use again during rush hour with the idea that you also have these signs so you could theoretically shut it off so you wouldn't be permanently giving it up if there was a crash or if there was an emergency you can do this for a fraction of the cost that it would take to completely like i say rebuild the freeway and this is what the Department of Transportation wants to do. Well, there's a hearing tomorrow in Madison to decide this because you have a number of <clears throat> elected officials or people who've been appointed to, like the Madison Area Transportation Board, who aren't necessarily in favor aren't in favor of this. They say, well, look, the, the problem with this is if you do it, it's going to make it easier for people to drive their cars. And therefore, it's it's going to increase vehicle traffic. Well, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get people out of cars. We're trying to rely, make people rely more heavily on public transportation or on biking or on walking. He says if more cars are able to drive on the Beltline during peak travel times, well, that means it's going to be easier for people to drive their cars. Is that something that we really want? Okay, our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This, to me, is just a fascinating, a fascinating situation because, at least in this case, you've got the Department of Transportation who recognizes that there is a problem with traffic congestion. They also recognize that we don't have hundreds of millions of dollars and probably the political will out in Dane County to actually expand the Beltline to do what maybe should ultimately be done, which is to build you know more lanes each way. So what they're saying is we have the wherewithal right now for not that much money to convert one of the shoulders into a traffic lane that we could use from time we could use during the rush hours or we could use in times of emergency congestion or whatever to make it easier for people to get around by adding a lane. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I don't know if they're going to pass this or not. 
but it seems to me that this this is just an absolute no brainer an ability to the ability to essentially you know go out and take care of this problem without spending that much money all right if you've driven the belt line undoubtedly you've gotten caught up in the heavy traffic and the congestion all right is this something that makes sense under the circumstances don't do the whole freeway expansion but simply add a lane by taking one of the shoulders retrofitting it making it a traffic lane and boom you're done and by using the signs unlike what's happening you know down on the road construction between Milwaukee and Racine and Kenosha you you still have that lane that you could block off if there's an accident you could still use it you know for you know emergency situations to get vehicles off to the side to me this is and i don't say this about our department of transportation that often to me this is an absolutely brilliant idea which is maybe one of the reasons why they're not going to jump on it in Madison 4147991620 we discuss in a moment if you're on the line please hold on jeff wagner on wtmj The Department of Transportation is trying to use a a low-dollar cost option to try to deal with the huge congestion problems that they have in uh, in in Madison around the Beltline, and interestingly, this is it's it's not necessarily a novel idea. About twenty three states do things like this at, that they're talking about as well. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. One of our textures. Why not create express lanes like the other cities do? Well, that's that's kind of what this is. It, it it is going to be an express lane, but it's only going to be used during rush hour. Um, otherwise, it's still going to be treated as the shoulder here's a text jeff this works great on 23 north uh, on us 23 north of ann arbor mark from bristol text jeff i can't believe the words are coming out of my mouth but i agree with the dot fantastic idea um leave it up to madison to try to take a great idea and turn it into a bunch of nonsense let's talk to andrea in waukesha hi andrea you're on wtmj hi hi I'm calling. Um, I lived in Madison until recently and drove the Belt Line every day from the west side out to I-94, or I-90, excuse me, and um, I don't see it working. I really don't. Um, there's not enough room in that extra lane. I don't know where they're going to ex- where they're going to extend it over to. Um, you're going to be driving right on the cement on that on that um, divider well what they what they say is they're, they're going to right now the lanes are the, the regular lanes from what I understand are 12 feet wide they're going to narrow them to 11 feet but at 11 feet you can you can turn that that shoulder by the divider by the median you can turn that into a, a separate lane that you can use when you need to do it I understand that um, being um, a former resident I know that I have sat on the belt line thousands of times um, from uh, for extra 10 minutes up to extra almost two hours, which should only be a 20-minute drive back and forth across, across Madison. And the accidents that mm-hmm. happen are ridiculous. Um, it is bumper to bumper. You move, you know, less than 10 miles an hour at some times. And I guess would that be a justification then for adding an extra lane to maybe, you know, allow traffic to flow a little more freely? Um, I could, 
possibly it could flow easier. I just don't see it. They don't slow down. Nobody on the Beltline slows down. It's moving constantly. What they should have done is when they did all their extensions down on Verona Road is they should have built something, another extended Beltline further south between McFarland and Stoughton that shoots over to Verona. Yeah, I mean, thanks. There's a lot of, it's in, and I'm, I, I agree with you. There's a lot of different things that, that could have been done to relieve that congestion. At the same time, and this is somebody who's been through this a lot in southeastern Wisconsin, you, you're t- anytime you're talking about undertaking a major road-building project that involves putting more lanes in, you, it, it's going to be just a huge battle. I mean, we've been seeing that again with the the plans to you know widen I-94 between the zoo interchange and, and downtown. You know, I mean, this has been a fight that's been going on for years and years. And, and despite the fact that I think every study shows that the traffic justifies this, whenever you try to do it, you get, again, the homeowners along the freeway. Then you get people who just don't like freeways. And then you get people who don't like cars and want to get people out of cars and force them into mass transportation. And they come up and fight it. Now, that that's a battle that's just not going to be won at all in in uh, in Madison. It, it's just not. So the Department of Transportation is trying to come up with what I think is a reasonable, somewhat cost-effective idea. Don't be surprised if tomorrow they don't kill this in Madison, saying, okay, well, you know, if we make it easier for people to drive, that means more people are going to drive. Well, here's the answer. More people are going to continue to drive regardless. Why wouldn't we do everything we can to make that as pleasant as possible? Just asking. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Okay, Gru, who is producing the show today and always. Do you, do you know what you know what Peloton is? Yeah, it's uh, like a stationary bike. Right. Okay. Right. The, it's, well, it's not just like a stationary bike. It is like the the Ferrari of stationary bikes. Peloton. They're, they're the stationary bikes. But you, you don't just buy the stationary bike. The, the stationary bikes, uh, they, they go for around two grand, around two. You're just shaking your head. Around two thousand dollars. But on on top of that, where they make a lot of their money is, you you you, you purchase the bike. But then what you also do is you sign up for the, uh, all these these different classes that they have. So you get the bike, and then you get a subscription, and it's got all these training aids and things like that. So it's kind of like this lifestyle. But these are extremely high-end sort of things. Well, all right, there, Peloton is getting all sorts of attention because of an ad that's been running on the internet. I don't know if they're showing this on on TV, although I swear I think I've seen it on television as well. But they're getting all sorts of, of heat about this holiday ad. Now again, we're talking about it's a stationary bike, it's got a TV screen, and then you you stream I don't know, all these different, you know, classes and things like that. So it, it's kind of like the, this lifestyle that that's out there. All right, here's the ad. It opens on a young mother descending the stairs of her home, led by her daughter. It's a snowy holiday morning. You can see the snow through the home's luxurious floor-to-ceiling windows. The husband, the husband is off camera, He's got, but he's gotten the gift. The wife looks at this and goes, a Peloton. All right, so she's, she's got the, the high-end exercise bike. And then 
the ad. This is a like a 60-second ad, and you, you can see it. I, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. The ad shows the woman then beginning to document her fitness. Um, you know, she's, it shows her, you know, she's on the bike and she's riding the bike and they've got the classes and at one time she comes home from work and gets on the bike and then she rides it. She gets out of bed at six in the morning and she rides it. And then you can see the change of seasons, you know, first she's riding it in the winter and then it's the spring and then it's the summer. You can tell this because of the background and stuff. And and then ultimately what, what happens is at the end of, of the ad, it's fall you know, she cycled through all these different seasons, and um, she ends up, you know, interact. There's this great music that plays about, you know, oh, this is super kind of like a Rocky theme song, but it's not really Rocky. And then she says, she says to her husband, a year ago, I didn't realize how much this would change me, she says, now a, a full believer. She's thrilled that she got th- this exercise bike. Okay, well. This commercial has generated a ton of attention on the Internet, most of it um, kind of negative, people who are uh, offended. They say, well, okay, this is sexist. It's the husband buying the the exercise bicycle for his wife and her riding this. And, you know, then it's it's body shaming. Now, this particular gal, you look at the ad, she doesn't look like she has an ounce of body fat on her. But, you know, they're saying this could be about weight loss. It's never mentioned in the ad. But but here, you know, this is body shaming. The husband saying that the wife needs to be fitness, be better than that. And then there's some people that just kind of think that that it's cheesy. And that, you know, Peloton is is this, this overpriced sort of thing. So right now they're not backing down. But it's this huge controversy about whether or not, uh, first of all, is the ad over the top? But secondly, exercise equipment, getting your spouse an exercise bike, who would end up doing that? And that's what I thought was the interesting aspect of this. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. A lot of people are apparently outraged over this for a number of reasons. But here's what I would like to discuss with you. Is is a piece of exercise equipment, Is a, in this case, it's a high-end stationary bicycle, bike. I mean, is that a lousy Christmas gift? I mean, is this something that the reasonable person, reasonable woman would be offended by? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I mean, if you came down and found this $2,000 plus high-end exercise bike, you know, under the tree, would you be thrilled with this or would you be mad as you know what at, at your spouse your significant other, whatever, for getting something like this. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is this the route to divorce court or not? Uh Uh-oh, my phone just went off. My wife, I would not think an exercise bike would be on my list. My daughter, on the other hand, would probably love it. Okay, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is this a disastrous type of Christmas gift? Or, I don't know, if you're into fitness sort of things, would this be wonderful? Uh, putting aside the, you know, is any exercise bike worth two grand? We discuss in just a minute. 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I have a text from Dan who says, Jeff, there's a hilarious parody of this ad on Twitter. It ends with the wife saying, what sort of blankety-blank psycho would give this to his wife? 
followed by her giving him divorce papers. Okay, really? 414-799-164. Now, I understand, like, plumbing products and stuff, you know, cooking implements as a general rule, probably a bad idea. A vacuum cleaner, probably a bad idea for a Christmas gift. But I don't know. This is, it's a, it's a really, really high-end exercise bike, and people are mocking it. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Lisa in Burlington. Hi, Lisa. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, would you be offended if you found a high-end exercise bike under your tree? Absolutely not. I would love a gift like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I, I don't, so you wouldn't take it as your husband saying, oh, you, you need to work out or something like that? No, it's like getting a vacuum or a new coffee maker. The older we get, things like that are more exciting. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not quite with you with the vacuum and stuff. The coffee maker, maybe. But I guess I no, I mean, I guess if it you, you have to understand context. But I would assume most guys wouldn't buy something like this just out of the clear blue. They'd have to know that their wife or significant other was into exercise or worked Correct. out at the gym or something like this. So it would be kind of like, hey, now you don't have to schlep over to the gym. You can just do it in the rec room or whatever, which I, I, I guess I wouldn't be appalled by that. And for that kind of money, obviously, he thought that through, or there was a comment made that that person wanted that as a gift or yeah. would like it in the future. Right. And so if, when I describe this ad to you, you're, you're not offended by You don't think it's sexist or body shaming or anything, right? Absolutely not. I just think now, today, everybody is so offended by everything, and I think we just need to look past that and just... <laughs> Right, right. Calm down a little bit. Well, right, exactly. I mean, th- thanks for calling. Right, I mean, I guess that's what I was kind of looking at. If you're... If your wife isn't into fitness or has no interest in, you know, working out or riding a bike, well, yeah, then then you wouldn't get it for her. But this ad is clearly targeted for somebody whose significant other, you know, has this kind of interest. And she's like, oh, this is great, and I wrote it for a year, and it's really made me healthier. I, what's wrong with that? Rich in Brown Deer. Rich, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Rich. Hey, you know, first of all, i got to tell you, I hate that, if we're in this point in the world where everything is body shaming and sexist and me too this and dude it's just a product that's all it is right it's an exercise bike well my my wife would like one the only thing that would offend her is the price yeah she'd say she'd say rich have you have you lost your mind you know how much these things cost it's two grand plus the subscription every month for this thing yeah people don't see that it's like another 35 bucks a month but dude it's cool i would like one she would like one but we're not spending that. Right, right, right. Which is a whole different story. It's kind of like the, these ads for, gosh, that they have for the, is it Mercedes that they have the ads for the cars? You know, every every year I'm like, okay, who who buys a, a car? for? I mean, maybe, maybe people do that. And I, I'm just, so Fran, if you're listening, you're not getting a car for Christmas. You know, you're not going to walk out on Christmas morning and there's not going to be a Mercedes with a big bow on it. I mean, who buys that? But but, I mean, again, who's going to be offended by that? Shelly in Howard's Grove. Shelly, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Shelly. I was telling um, your producer, my husband bought me an exercise bike last year, and I told my sister, she was like, what you get for Christmas? I'm like, oh, he got me an exercise bike. She was really offended. I'm like, wait, I love it. That's what I wanted. Yeah. Okay. So she was offended. Why? Because she thought he was sending you a message that you needed exactly. to work out or something. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. She's like, oh, that's terrible. And I'm like, 
No, I wanted it. That was really a nice present. Well, well, right. I mean, that that's it. Because because now maybe it's okay. I, I I don't I don't need the health club membership, or I, I don't have to. You know, in the middle of the winter, I don't have to schlep over to the health club. I I want to work out. This is fun. I want to do this. Yeah, I guess that's kind of how I would look at it. I mean, I I just I think sometimes people look too hard to try to find quote unquote messages or things. I think they read too much into it. I loved my present. <laughs> Are you still using it? Yes. All right, there you go. Thanks for the call, Shelly. 414-799-1620. Pete in Port Washington. Pete, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. It's on my way home. Uh, I don't know really any man that's going to spend that kind of money on a gift for a woman who hasn't been told by the woman that that's what she's wanted. Yeah, <laughs> I just don't. I just don't see it. I, I mean, you're not going to buy it unless your wife says, "Hey, I really want that." Right, or, or right, or yeah, you, you'd know. Right, you'd have a pretty good inclination that number one, she's into fitness. This is the type of thing that she would use. And hey, let, let's get her the, the best if that's what this is. Let's get her this high end thing. She'll she'll appreciate it. It's kind of like okay, I'm you, you need a new coat. I'm going to get you a coat for Christmas, but I'm going to get you a high end coat. No, I mean, yeah, I, exactly. I, yeah, no, think I think people just get way too worked up about this. You know, I'm I'm. I'm reading some of the comments on the Internet about this. This is it. Um, Gee, nothing says maybe you should lose a few pounds like gifting your already rail-thin partner a Peloton. I mean, okay, you know, really? I mean, come on. Is that that the biggest problem that, that you have here? Bottom line of all this is, you know, if it's something that somebody likes, well, it's something that somebody likes. Now, that being said, do you think you kind of always have to be careful with the way things are interpreted? you got to know your spouse. But just to look at this ad and say, oh, this is a terrible ad, I'm going to be offended by it. Well, okay, maybe you might be offended by it. Maybe, you know, your spouse might be offended by it if it was a gift. But otherwise, I, I think there's a lot of people who would probably look at this and say, hey, you know what? This is kind of a pretty cool thing, and it's wonderful that my my husband thought enough of me that he decided that he was going to, you know, drop drop all this money on me. I mean, now, at the same time, you know, jewelry is always a good idea as well. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, let's just kind of switch gears. Got a couple minutes before John McCure comes in. And by the way, I know he's going to have updates on the, the stories, more details emerging about the shooting in Waukesha at the school yesterday and the shooting this morning where you had a school resource officer who apparently had been stabbed by what they're calling an eb- edged object by a student who had confronted him and the officer shot the kid yesterday. um, I guess that the real detail to emerge now is that the student, the, the weapon that he had, he had a pellet gun um, with him, but Waukesha police are showing pictures of the pellet gun. And again, it's one of these things where you you look at it and there's no way that any person could tell that this was not a, a real gun. So for anybody who wants to, He'll criticize law enforcement and say, you mean you, you shot this guy, you shot this kid three times because all he had was a pellet gun? You look at the, you look at the weapon he had, and it's, it's not like a squirt gun with a plastic, an orange plastic cap on it. I mean, this looks like a regular gun, which of course, you know, raises, you know, some of those issues that, you know, that unfortunately, you know, people carry these things 
I think they carry them with the idea of trying to create the impression that they're carrying a real firearm. And then you get into these situations where law enforcement can't tell the difference and can't reasonably be expected to tell the difference. Hey, a quick thing from the world of politics. The, the big news today is Senator Kamala Harris, um, who was probably, I think, at one point in time in the top tier of the second tier of Democrat candidates, her high water mark was where she got into it with Joe Biden, challenging him about um, busing back in the first Democrat debate. So she was kind of like the rising star. She clearly peaked too soon, and the campaign never was really able to build on that moment. Apparently, if you read, there was a huge story in the New York Times over the weekend about how the, 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 the her she's from California, of course. The part of her campaign was being run on the West Coast. Part of the campaign was being run by her sister on the East Coast. And the people on the East Coast didn't get along with the people on the West Coast. And they couldn't figure out what her message was going to be. And she was just getting no traction. So I, I, huge financial problems. So she ended up announcing that she was not going to run for president, that she was dropping out. One of the interesting things is Joe Biden If you want to trace the decline of Biden in the polls, and I know there's a lot of you that don't believe polls, but let's work with me for just a minute. I I think it might really start at that debate in in Iowa where Senator Harris went after him. And I think most people felt that his response wasn't really wasn't very good. And I think it, it hurt Biden and made some people think that, okay, well, well, maybe he's just too unsteady, maybe just too old, and I don't think he's necessarily ever recovered from that moment. Now what's happening is that he finds himself, well, he's losing track, he's losing ground to um, Elizabeth Warren, he's losing ground to Bernie Sanders, and he's also losing ground to Mayor Pete, who's sort of emerging as the moderate alternative to Warren and Sanders. And Apparently, you know, Biden's spending a lot of time and effort, big story in the um, Wall Street Journal today, about how he's spending just a ton of time. There's 62 days, I think, before the Iowa caucuses, and, you know, Biden needs a strong showing in Iowa in order to, you know, get some momentum back and stuff. And I think a lot of people are saying, hey, he's, he's struggling. He's struggling to deal with the challenges of Mayor Pete. Now he's in Iowa, you know, again, and, he, and he's targeting Mayor Pete. He's targeting Elizabeth Warren. He's back on the attack trying to regain some momentum. Interesting, though, if you look back on the history of the 2020 presidential election, and if Joe Biden isn't the Democrat nominee, and you, you know, want to trace, at least in my opinion, kind of the beginning of the end of Joe Biden, you go back to that first debate, and, and that might be the legacy of Senator um, Harris. All right, when we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.